Welcome to Poetry Spotlight, presented by the Ohio Poetry Association. I am your host, Jeremy Jusek, and with us today is Beth Mulcahy. Beth is a Pushcart Prize-nominated poet and writer whose work has appeared in over 30 literary journals. Beth lives in Wooster, Ohio, with her husband and two children. She works for a Wooster-based company that provides technology to people without natural speech. Beth's debut chapbook, Firmer Ground, by Anxiety Press, was published in April. You can find out more about Beth's publications and projects on her website, bethmulcahywriter.com, and her free substack at bethmulcahy.substack.com. And Beth, thank you for joining us. Hi, Jeremy. Thank you for having me. Could you please start us off the poem? I would love to. Thanks. Okay, so I'm going to read a poem called I Have Something to Say About Potatoes. I love meat and potatoes like a good Irish girl. The tuber ties of my DNA are deep and distant. 177 years and 3,500 miles away, my great-great-grandmother burst fighting into a blighted world from the womb of a woman married to an Irish farmer. Her earliest memories, watching her father work land stolen from his father, he was allowed to rent back from absent nobility. Watching potatoes she helped dig out turn poison and disintegrate to ash in her mother's hands. Watching her mother's tears drown clutched rosary beads. Watching her father look at her like the fairies made her a girl when he so badly needed a boy. Watching the cows march away at gunpoint to be sold for someone else's pocket, for someone else to eat. Watching her people disappear. I'll take mine mashed with salt, butter, and milk, certified Angus beef on the side, and none of it for granted. Great final line. I love I love that line. Thank you. Thank you. So why this poem first in the collection? I actually meant to ask you different stuff, but <laughs> I want to know, <laughs> um, because it's, it's a great introduction to your family and heritage plays into your work quite a bit. Um, so why this one? Well... Quite simply, I led with this one for the chapbook because I think it's my strongest. It is one of my favorite pieces I've ever written. Um, and I also feel like it, it it helps a little bit with, with sort of the way, like you said, establishing a, a backdrop and it, it's the furthest back in time. So I write about my great-grandmother here in the 1840s in Ireland. And we kind of move through the chapbook. There are poems about my grandmother, my mother, myself as a child, myself as a teenager, uh, there are pieces about that, about my daughter, my, you know, my life now um, as a mother. And so it kind of made sense um, to start back there. Sure. Okay, cool. That's a great answer. I just, I was curious that I wanted to know. Yeah. Um, so I want to, I want to start talking about healing because it's a big, it's probably should the biggest theme in your work probably yeah um probably. and you've mentioned that your creative self focuses a lot on this and so what type of writing and what type of reading induces healing for you and, and why do you think that is that's a great question and i think that you know writing itself is very healing for me so a lot of times when i write not all the time but a lot of times when i write 
it is because I'm trying to work through something, figure something out, make sense of something. There's something that's bothering me or something that struck me. Uh, and I, and me, it's me working through it on the page a lot of times. Um, and it helps me and it helps me to process and heal. Um, and it's always been that way. And I think that, that um, when I started writing, uh, a lot of what I did as a um, teenager, high school, college student was journaling. Well, I started journaling when I was 10. And at some point in high school and college, my journals turned into poetry. They just turned into poem after poem after poem. And that sort of just became my habit of how I wrote to work through things. Um, so it, it just, poetry for me just grew out of keeping a journal to, to, I used a journal to process life and the journal turned to poems. And so then poems became my way of, of <laughs> processing whatever I was feeling, experiencing. So Interesting. Okay. That's really cool. It, it grew out of journaling. And was there a point where you looked at it at the journals and said, maybe I should write poems instead, or this is a poem? Like, when did that hit you? <laughs> well, th then I think at some point I thought, well, at the time I was taking creative writing classes in college and um, trying to write poems and, and, and trying to publish some of them. Um, and so I would start what was in the journal was a rough draft. And then I'd sort of take it out of there or take it to a new page and rewrite it and rewrite it and sometimes take it to the computer. Um, so it was sort of a starting place where I would just put all my thoughts. So. Okay. And, and what, what techniques, like what craft techniques did you latch on to first to start implementing into your work? <laughs> well, I don't know that I really did any. Um, so this is, you might find this interesting too. When I was in college, I went to the university of Dayton and I majored in English and I wanted to be a writer and I took every writing class I could get hold of, um, composition, fiction, um, every kind of journalism, media writing, all, all different kinds of writing. And what I avoided and refused to take was poetry. <laughs> I did not take a poetry class in college. And the reason, and it was on purpose. And it was because I needed it so badly. I, I was writing poetry every day. I didn't think it was really particularly very good, but I, I, I didn't have confidence in what I was really writing poetically. Um, or that really I had much to say that was valuable, um, which, which is probably why I stopped doing it for a while, you know, after when we talk, we can talk about that more later, but um, I, I didn't want it to get ruined for me. I didn't want poetry to be ruined, but I didn't want to find out that I wasn't doing it right. Oh, that's interesting. That's, that's like somebody going, I don't want to go to the doctor and find out. <laughs> that this might be a serious chronic issue I need to start dealing with. You know? Maybe. I mean, what I was doing, I was doing because I loved it and I needed it. And I just was afraid that I would find out that I really wasn't doing it right and that I couldn't do it right, that I wasn't a poet. Yeah. Didn't want to find out. <laughs> did, did you feel like you had confidence in your other writing classes? Yeah, I did. I did. Okay. Now, did you practice? Like, did you also practice fiction or practice mm -hmm. other types yeah. of writing? I took fiction writing um, and I think advanced fiction writing. And I took um, a lot of liter literature courses studying 
short story writers. So I took Hemingway seminar um, and things like that. And I, I tried to excel in my academic classes and the writing that I was doing. Um, but the, the poetry was just mostly personal. So for me. Yeah. I mean, you are, that, that makes sense. It comes out of journal writing because I mean, you were a deeply confessional poet. I mean, you're, when I, like you're you're like at your core a confessional poet. I think that even the way you use your techniques in your writing, um, like italics, you use italics in a generous way without, you know, like you don't oversalt it though. And it's because you play with it in different ways in different poems. Like in help text, it's encoded double meanings, right? You have like phrases that you're you're, you know, right try, trying to flip on a, on on both sides of a coin and then in other cases it's to highlight inner monologues or like subtext or um so for confessionalism like do you feel that's on the money like do you do you feel like a confessionalist and like how do you use the eye okay so what does that mean so confessionalism is poetry of the eye and like oh. i did this i am i am this way and i am afraid personally i'm afraid to do that too much so i'm use characters to kind of like get behind third person behind the character and that I feel comfortable in that space. Yeah. And I understand. I'm envious of people like, like writers like you that can just own the first person so well. And so I was wondering if you could talk about that a little mm. bit. Oh, that's super interesting because I did start reading your chat book and, and um, I cannot wait to give it a really thorough read. I'm very excited, but I did look at it. I just got it today and um, I started looking at it and that was one of the first things I noticed and actually really excited me because I was like, oh my gosh, this, these are characters. This is poetry with using characters. And I noticed some of the same names throughout. And so I'm, I'm just really excited to read that. I think that's cool. Well, thank you. I yeah. appreciate that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I definitely got me intrigued um on that yeah I mean I think part of it must be because right like you said it makes sense if it came out of journaling for me this is what I use poetry for the other um I'm not sure how, exactly how this plays in but I do a lot of prompt writing a lot of my poems do come out of prompts um but I think that they are still what ends up coming out is something that I needed to or wanted to or was going to write about anyway right like that's what what happens with prompts it makes everybody think of different things it sort of makes maybe think of what they have going on and that needs to come out anyhow so sure sure yeah but but yeah I don't know um I think for me it is there's a huge vulnerability with it okay yeah but it makes it authentic too it does yeah because you you can if you're being vulnerable very often that vulnerability is attached to a truth of some kind yep and I think even if, I think even if you're lying, like, do you think this, I think that even if you're lying to yourself, as long as you're being vulnerable, there's still a truth because if other people can recognize the lie, yeah. then they can see the vulnerability of putting up the lie in the first place. Yeah, exactly. That's a really interesting point. Okay, so you, um, you start working on, on firmer ground and uh, was that, when did you start working on that? I started working on Farmer Ground um, about a year and a half ago, I would say. Yeah, I, I had a completed manuscript, um, well, I guess a year ago, January. 
Um, and then it took about, I put it out on submission and it took about 10 months and I got an acceptance and I had just about given up on it, to be honest with you. And so I was very excited when I heard from Cody Sexton at Anxiety Press. And he said, hey, is this still available? I'd love to publish it. Um, so that was very exciting. But I would say I started putting it together that, that maybe November before um, that. But I will say that I believe this is true. Yes, 100% of the pieces in the chapbook were written already. So this is a chapbook that was formed from existing work. In fact, help text, which you brought up, I wrote in college. Now, I rewrote it, you know, now, 20 some years later, um, yeah. but that was there, like in handwriting in a journal from college. And I was looking through old things and thought, oh, I could do something with this. So. Yeah, yeah, that's how it is, too, because when you look at old writing from way back then, um I look at it and think I have to do a lot to this. <laughs> right. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Yes. But it's, I think it's fun because I've kept all my old journals and I've done that with a lot of pieces where I have, I will go through and I will pull out things that I think have potential. And I just think it's so much fun to do. Yeah. Did you, did you ever study uh, like stream of consciousness or uh, like Virginia Woolf or something where uh you know just getting your emotions out so you can play up the journalism aspect yes yeah i think that's i think that is really cool um well Anne lamott says that um for writing uh i love her book bird by bird i love craft books by writers especially poets but all memoirists as well and a poet memoirist those are my favorite um mary carr is one and um Maggie Smith, an Ohio poet, is another one who just wrote a great, great memoir that I finished called You Could Make This Place Beautiful. But anyhow, um, Anne Lamott, bird by bird, she says you have to write a shitty first draft. She's a huge proponent of this. Have you heard this? Um, this very idea that you just have to get out a lot of crap before you get to what's good. And I don't think that's true for every writer. In fact, I don't like um, craft book writers who say, this is how you have to do it. This is what works. This is what doesn't because I think different things work for different people, mm -hmm. but that works for me. There are times where I have to get out some terrible drafts and some stream of consciousness, ridiculousness um, until I get to something that is uh, where, where I wanted to go. And then, then when I get there, I get a lot of satisfaction out of it. Um, that's one of my favorite things about writing is what I'm really trying to do with whatever I'm trying to work through or capture or convey or make sense of when I get there, it just makes me so happy. Yeah. Yeah. And, and if, and it feels so good. Like if you write a poem like that, where you, where you feel like you really stuck the landing and then it gets picked up the first time you send it out or something Ooh. like that's, that's yeah. real. Yeah. <laughs> you, you feel that in your fingertips. Yeah, I know that's the rush, the thrill. Yes. It brings, it brings me a lot of joy. Oh, while I'm thinking of it, there was something I wanted to say about I. So you were talking about I before. Um, and I'm not really sure this is to your point that you were making, but I think the I is really interesting. And I was mentioning before how, when I was writing as a young adult, or a teenager, I did not have confidence in my own voice, in in 
what that what I had to say had value or that I was even saying it well, that my writing was even any good. Mm-hmm. Um, and I used to write with a lowercase I on purpose all the time in my journals and my poems. And so I used I, but it was a lowercase I. And it was a lowercase I that reflected that lack of, um, you know, it's just was a who do I think I am that I would be a capital I. It's just me sitting over here, like trying to cope with life. And that was something that changed when I went back to writing years later. And I wrote a poem about it. But it's not a poem that's ever been picked up. And I have sent it out and I like it. And it's called I to I, lowercase I to capital I. But it what it does is it talks about that shift and that change for me and what that meant. And it and and it doesn't mean that now I think I know everything and I'm great. But it, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean I think I'm worthy, but it's just me moving towards that. Yeah. No, I understand that completely. And I think at a certain point it's not endearing anymore if you're woe betide my writing to other people who hear it you know like if you stay in that mindset where you're apologizing for reading to people like right right that's not that's not after a while that's not great and I think you should adopt some confidence earned you know it it doesn't have to be arrogance but you should you should respect yourself and you should respect your own work and you should be thankful but also pleased when other people like it (laughs) yes right right and sometimes I think that's hard for us to to accept the praise and just say thanks um you know if we if we do feel sort of self-conscious about that but you know it is it's interesting too because talking about writing that I did when I was younger and in college and and going back to the um formation of firmer ground the chapbook and looking at existing pieces and trying to decide what to include and in what order to include it, but just basically what to include, I noticed a huge difference um, in the poems that I wrote in the past and the poems that I wrote in the last couple of years. And there was a huge difference in voice, which makes sense. But it was, um, I had someone help me with this chapbook, someone who was a, um, a publishing consultant, a friend of mine and a teacher of our local writing group. And she was, you know, a curator. But for me, it was really hard to see my work objectively from the outside looking at it. I feel so inside of it because it is so personal. Um, and it was hard for me to to figure out what to do with it, what, what order to put it in, what I was going to say with it, what to include. And when, when I asked Megan, it's Megan McVicker. Um, and she's absolutely wonderful. I highly recommend her. She did a beautiful job helping me and, and guiding me through the process, not doing it for me. Although I kind of was tempted to just, you know, here, Megan, can you, can you (laughs) read my work and put it together? Um, it was such a wonderful process that she gave me all kinds of moments to do to really help me figure out um my themes and what I wanted to say and how I wanted to say it but she said to me there's a huge difference between your voice then and your voice now and one of the words she used was perspective um so it was just in a different place there was maybe a little bit more um I don't know if ranting is the right word or complaining or lamenting or boo-hooing um and then 
I think what I developed over time was this concept of working through to some to to going somewhere else um, with perspective to to that step of making sense of things, and then maybe having something to offer the reader. Yeah. So with, with this collection, what what do you want to say, and and what do you want readers to take away with it, take away from it? So. A lot of my work is about healing. It's about the concept of resilience and my belief that humans are and can be resilient and that we all go through difficult things and that looks different for everybody, but things do get shaky for everyone in their life at different times. Um, but the idea is that we can get to firmer ground and that's why it's called firmer ground. And so I'm taking the reader on a journey of my own um, to firmer ground. Gotcha. Yeah, and I know you draw heavily off of your, you know, you draw off your own, everybody does, but like this collection, because it's so personal, it's about your family, it's about the history you're growing up, um, you have those moments where it's awkward, it's uncomfortable, um, you know, the, the poem, uh, how, how, when I remember how it felt to be 13, um, you have, I mean, it's, it's kind of an intense poem, like it's a, it's, <laughs> The poem's passive aggressive with the reader in a po in a positive way, not not a negative way. But um, how much of that is observational and how much is fictional, and how do you decide what elements to include in your work? Yeah, I, that's a really good question. I think it's a mix of things that um, I observe that might inspire me, um, but I would say most of the time, it's hard for me to write about anything authentically that I don't feel some sort of deep connection to mm -hmm. um and so that one that you're mentioning about when 13 I wrote that when I had a third when my one of my kids was 13 and I was remembering and I think it came out of a prompt as well but I you know there's just certain memories that you have that are vivid and I feel sometimes like that's significant what we don't remember can also be significant um, but what we do remember is significant. And, and I just remember that five minutes of my life being driven home and, and, and other, there were lots of other times, but what I remember about being 13 is being incredibly uncomfortable, being sort of mortified to just exist, even just very uncomfortable in my own skin. Um, lots of anxiety. And I did have older siblings. And they were, uh, my next closest sibling is five years older than me. And they were already over the 13-year-old hump and rocking and rolling as older teenagers. And I knew there was light at the end of the tunnel. I just, I knew it. I had just had to get through this. But I do remember very vividly feeling just ridiculously awkward. I mean, it comes across. And, and I, I want to... I want to say maybe passive aggressive isn't the right phase phrase, but it's the subtext is intense. <laughs> it's because it's a, it's a, it's just, you're just sitting in the car in a vehicle, you're just sitting in the truck, but it's, it's, it's uncomfortable. <laughs> it's uncomfortable and nothing happens. I mean, nothing happened, but, and that's sort of right with that one. You feel like, well, I don't really want to be pulling on the emotional. I hate when writers pull on the emotional heartstrings of readers for no reason. And that's not the intention with that piece. That was really just to paint a picture of a moment in time. But I think part of it too is, and part of what was part of that moment was that sort of unknown uncertainty and worry about what could or might happen. Sure. As well. So. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
so you graduate college and uh you know you start your adult life and you you stop writing for a while and yes. you take a hiatus and you come back to it and you you came back to it at covid start of covid yeah okay yeah. um what was that like coming back like did, was it intimidating was it uh did you feel like you wrote differently i mean you said you had extra perspective how how did that pan out Oh my gosh, I've had so much fun. I just absolutely love it. It's brought me so much joy. I'm 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 totally thrilled that I've um allowed myself to become a writer again and to believe that I am. Um so I think what did it was I had more time and I started to read again. I love to read and I read as a child everything I could get my hands on. I mentioned I I majored in English literature and I I read all the time and um, loved to write about what I read and loved to write, but um, I decided to go to law school. That's very consuming. And after law school, I got married and had children and that's very consuming. (laughs) And um, and I really got away from myself and, and if coming back to writing was coming back to myself, I really felt like I lost my identity. I lost myself in all those years. Yes. I was living a life in a very sort of um, traditionally productive way um, and doing things I, that I love. I love my job, love my kids, always wanted to be a mom and devote lots of time to taking care of them but there wasn't time like I used to have for reflection um for the journaling for the poetry for I just didn't read and I didn't write and unless I I I, maybe that's not entirely true there because the need never went away so there is some writing but it's rather um frantic and desperate I think (laughs) not any gut at all but just there were certain times if something was going on and I needed to cope with it that was my go-to I do have some journals but but I was just exhausted all the time I mean you're a parent you know what it's like when they're little you don't sleep no and and I'm exhausted all the time that's that's exactly right (laughs) right so it was very consuming and I really felt disconnected from myself and so I just started to read again and then because it's COVID and everything's on zoom I discovered that the writers that I was reading were doing Zoom talks and that I could like log on and listen to them talk about their writing. And I did that with Anne Lamont and some other writers. And I I just loved it and um, got inspired to want to write again. And then I found um, communities of writers. Yeah, that's, that's, that's amazing. And, and like, now that you're writing again, what does it feel like? Like, is the world brighter? You know, is it, yes. does, do tacos yes. taste better? <laughs> they do. They do. Oh my gosh. I think it's enriched my life so much. I mean, I do it. I do it for fun. It is a passion, um, completely addicted to it. And um, I love to take writing classes, to take workshops. Um, I, and I, I love submitting. I love getting acceptances. Um, and I love having a book out. It, it's, it, it just brings me so much joy. But yes, you mentioned before about intimidating. At first, it was extremely intimidating. It's still intimidating. But um, I think part of what made it really fun for me was finding communities of writers that were really supportive and who would say to me, no, don't say that. You are a writer. You're writing. What you just read was great. And offering constructive feedback, um, sharing their writing and and so just having that community 
is wonderful. Yeah. And I think that something that's kind of become clear to me working on the podcast is guest after guest, when they're plugged in and they're engaged, they often have a group of some kind, whether it's a workshop, whether it's like a a group that creates events and workshops, you know, it, it doesn't have to be a large structured group. Sometimes it's just a small group of friends that are, are getting together and, and working. Um, what was the first group that you, that you ran into coming back? The first group I ran into is called the Brilliant Writers, and it's um, run by Albert Flynn de Silver, and he is um, out of California. And the reason that I found Albert's group was because he did a workshop with Mary Carr. So Mary Carr is a poet and a memoirist, um, and she teaches, I'm going to get the university wrong, um, but she teaches writing, I think somewhere in New York. Um, anyway, she's absolutely brilliant. And I love her memoir, um, The Liars Club. And then she also wrote a great book called The Art of Memoir. And I was reading that and loving it and um, getting very interested in memoir. Um, and she really spoke to me because she's also a poet. So I found this workshop that she was doing because I just checked out her website after I read her book. And, and Albert was doing a workshop with her. I attended the workshop, found out about his group and joined it and um, got a lot out of it. I was part of that for a while. It has, um, it's kind of undergoing some transition or change right now. So I'm not active in them right now, but they did a lot for me. That's excellent. That's good. Are, are you a part of a regular workshop? Yes. So this one is local. It's called the um, Wayne Center for the Arts Writer Circle. And it is through, um, so I live in Worcester, Ohio, and it is the local art centers writing, creative writing group. So the art center off offers all kinds of, um, you know, different classes. The writing set circle meets Wednesdays and it's on Zoom and you don't have to be in Worcester or Wayne County or even in Ohio. We had someone once accidentally sign up from Pennsylvania who thought it was Wayne County Pennsylvania and it wasn't but he stayed for many sessions a screenwriter and was brilliant and loved the group and hopefully he'll come back again um there are regulars of us you know four or five that do it every session um and then we'll get you know different people pop in and out for different sessions all kinds of different writers extremely supportive we do generative prompts we workshop each other's pieces sometimes some weeks we just talk about writing sure it's lots of fun that's awesome. <laughs> so you work for a company that uh, you guys, you guys, it's it's giving natural speech the ability to communicate. Uh, people without natural speech, the ability to communicate. I'm sorry. Um, and that's interesting because, you know, there's a lot of people who have an artistic background or, or you know, musical background or like they do other things. Um but that's that's a that's directly linked to communication. So, is there anything that you've learned in your career that helps you with writing? Um, I think that. Well, I will say generally as a lawyer. So, so when I went to law school, I thought I've taken every writing class I can in college, and I feel like I'm a good writer, and so I'll I'll know how to write whatever they need me to in law school. That was not true because legal writing is completely different than any other writing. Um, and a really good example of that is the board of directors piece in my chat book, which we can talk about as well. But um, oh, I would like to. Begin. Yeah, I, ask about that. I like that one. But yeah, so 
so so I had a rude awakening and had to learn to write in a whole new way. But I do feel like an English degree was good prep for it. But specifically this company, I absolutely love my job. So I get to be a lawyer for a company here in Worcester that does make technology for people who do not have a vo uh, natural voice. So we believe that everyone deserves a voice. So if you think of like Stephen Hawking is the example, um, these are communication devices. These are, you know, some people call them talkers. It looks maybe like an iPad um, or sometimes a bit heavier of a device if it needs to be mounted to a wheelchair. But um, it's it's a very fascinating field of technology. And we we serve people who can't speak traditionally verbally like you and I. And that can be everybody from kids with autism um, you know, young adults with cerebral palsy, um, older adults who with ALS. And so sometimes it's people who are children who've never developed language. So language development and software um, system for communication is part of it. It's more than just the hardware. Um, or, or if you're an adult with ALS who's suddenly rendered unable to speak, that's a little bit of a different solution. So there are different solutions for everyone. Um, but we do believe everybody deserves a voice and it's amazing to be part of making that happen. And our goal is to make people successful communicators in their environments. And so, you know, having a child be able to tell their parent, I love you, having someone be able to tell their doctor, this is what hurts and I need this or that. Um, it's extremely powerful. Um, you're giving someone agency. And um, it makes a huge difference in people's lives. So our mission is, it's just incredible. Um, everybody there is really passionate about it. So they're great people to work with. But I do think that um, that it makes me appreciate um, that, you know, and that everyone's voice matters, including mine, right? And, and, and we all, and there are different ways we can communicate in different forms. So how that comes out in writing is that I love to do, um, Communication looks different for everyone, and there's all kinds of different forms of writing you can use. So I like borrowed form a lot, what we call hermit crabs, right? Um, so in the book, there's a museum placard piece, and there's also um, board of directors minutes. And I don't know that those are really poems or more than just short pieces of creative nonfiction. Maybe they're prose poems. I don't know, whatever. But um but the board of directors piece um, is is really, I mean, that is a form of writing I have to use in my work all the time because I'm, as the lawyer, I'm the secretary of the board. So every board meeting, I take the minutes and write those. And it is an art to write board minutes, but it's an art that's like no fun to read because it's passive voice. Mm -hmm. And we're talking about an entity, right? A corporation. And I thought it would be really fun to use that form if instead the people were talking about a person. Yeah. 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 And, and, and cause it's, it's basically a series of almost monologues. I mean, they're, they're structured as meeting minutes and right. I, I really like script writing and I, I felt like it was really kind of on the cusp of script writing. Mm. Um, where did that come from? It, cause it, it feels the other thing about that poem is it's, the least i don't want to say the least confident but it's it feels like the demon on your shoulder is talking the whole time you know like like <laughs> at least the other poems you get the angel and the demon you know but in yeah. this one it's just the demon so how yeah. come? <laughs> well it's meant to be funny like it's my attempt at comedy right 
And uh, my family thinks it's absolutely hilarious, right? Because they lived this with me. Um, there is some exaggeration for creative license. Not, not all of those things happened at the same time, but um, that is me kind of poking fun at myself. And at a time in my life where I really was a hot mess and struggling a junior year of college. And I cared what people thought. I cared about what the people in my life thought about, but it didn't stop me from doing what I wanted to or needed to do anyway. And I was struggling. And, um, but, but I think that it's, it is a part of my life that maybe I felt a little bit ashamed about what I went through and a little self-conscious about it and writing this piece. I've, I've not probably had so much fun writing anything as I did this piece. And I have a lot of fun writing, but this piece was so much fun to write. I was cracking myself up um, because it's, it was just, um, it was, yeah, it was. And I, I felt like I kind of worked through that by almost um, making light of it, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it is funny. I mean, like the, the conversation with your mother about being vegetarian, actually, would you mind reading the first paragraph of business update? Because no, no. <laughs> that's true. She did say that to me too. Okay. Um, that sounded almost verbatim, like the way you structured it there. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. <clears throat> All right. So section four of the board of directors meeting minutes is business update. Your roommate provided an update on significant matters related to you, which in your opinion are no one's business but your own. <laughs> Nevertheless, she reported that you continue to leave exactly one bite of food at every single meal, in spite of this having been brought to your attention and seems to be related to a previous eating disorder that everyone thought you were well past. Your mother noted, per usual, that vegetarians who don't eat vegetables are not actually healthy, that you are too thin, borderline anemic, and should start eating meat again immediately. You nodded in a good faith attempt to keep things moving along. Okay, so I mean, <laughs> there are there's a lot. It's dark humor. <laughs> yeah. Oh yes, yes. <laughs> but <laughs> it's it's clearly structured. Like it starts off with like God Almighty or something in like section one, <laughs> and um, so it, it, you you telescope right away that this is not supposed to be. You're supposed to be laughing along with the text, like. This is like a busy body mom. She cares, but she's also like being kind of sarcastic to you. <laughs> but yeah. did you feel like, is that how you felt when people were talking to you about these things? Like, no, I did not find it funny at the time. No, <laughs> oh, Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, I think that's where perspective comes in where, you know, and that is something I think that I got from my parents and it's humor and growing up in my house, there was not a lot of drama. And the reason for that is because they didn't let us take ourselves too seriously. Um, they, I mean, we took each other seriously, but there was always, um, it, it was an effective use of humor in my house to make, to make every, nobody was, everybody could make fun of themselves and each other in a loving way. You know what I mean? Absolutely. So. Yeah. I mean, you can make light of serious things, but still respect the boundaries of other people while doing so. Yes. And it comes everything I say about and, and hear about the people, uh, my friends, my siblings, it's absolutely from a place of love because they all cared about me. Um, so that's good. Yeah. <laughs> um, I just so didn't appreciate it at the time. Right. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, tough love can be like that, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so there's always some like denial at first, you know, and then it moves into 
gradually gets to acceptance. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> you know, the five stages of hearing hard truths. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Are you working on a collection now? Well, I'm working um, on a longer project, which is a memoir, but it's an experimental memoir. And so it does have poetry in it. And poetry is a huge part of it. Um, so I've been taking a lot of experimental writing courses and working with a mentor in that arena um, on this project. Really cool. Really cool. Yeah. May I ask what it's about? or is Absolutely. It yeah. No, I love to talk about it. So you won't be surprised. It is about my ancestry, um, which I am obsessed with and which was one of the first things that got me writing again, because I read a book that really inspired me to want to learn about my maternal ancestry. And so I've really been obsessed with that and, and um, dove right into that. And a lot of the the poems that I have written have been about the process. So there's book, poems in firmer ground that are about the process of uncovering my maternal ancestry, how I've gone about that, how I feel about it, why I'm doing it. So what the book is really going to try to do at first, I thought I wanted to write historical fiction. I love to read historical fiction. I'd love to write it it's really hard. You have to be such an expert. Right? <laughs> you have to do a lot of research and be a total expert. And what I want to write about spans so much time um, from the 1840s and the potato famine to, um, you know, now, basically, when I have um, recently traveled to Scotland and reconnected with my maternal, um, my cousins on my maternal ancestors' side, that there's just a huge story um, that I want to tell. And some of it may be some historical fiction uh, imaginings, um, but I want to to work through what I found out, mm -hmm. how I found it out, and why it matters to me. And that's really the part where the memoir comes in, is why do I care about this? Why is this something I've been obsessed with for the last three years? Um, what am I trying to, to figure out about myself in, in looking at these women? Well, did, your, did your family, because you, you said they were Irish, um, did they come over because of the potato famine? No, they did not. Um, they left Ireland and went to Scotland because of um, the Irish fight for home rule against England, which, you know, the IRA now was the o Irish Republican Brotherhood then. So I've done a lot of research about that. So that's a really interesting story that will be part of the memoir. And then um, they left, my grandmother was, um, left Scotland when she was a, um, a child. And so my mother's first generation American Um and she comes from a very large family, some of whom are still over in Scotland that we are still connected to. So <laughs> that's really cool. Yeah. That's really cool. I'll have to look out for it. I'm excited. I'm excited to read it. Thanks. All right. Could you please finish up with the poem? Sure. So I'm going to finish up with the last poem in the chat book, Firmer Ground. Um, and so we talked a little bit before about how the book moves through um, from difficult things, um, hurt, pain to healing and the concept of resilience. So I end the book intentionally on a poem that's, that's in that place of firmer ground. That's a bit more upbeat and positive. Uh, and it's called On the Way to Work. The fog is so thick driving through the valley that I can't tell where the sky ends and the ground begins. The trees are proudly bearing new buds. The grass is long and so wet that multiple large drops of dew are hanging off of each blade. 
but the blades spring up tall in spite of it, balancing under the wet weight. The sky is a shade of such cool, bright blue that the birds are singing about it from everywhere around, like a chorus of voices taking turns, each doing a different part in a different way at a different time. But somehow it feels like harmony. The air is heavy with the smell of earth and worms. The new flowers are smiling at me, looking fond of being the first ones to have broken through, standing ready for whatever this day will bring. That is lovely. Thank you. Thank you. you. (laughs) All right. This has been Poetry Spotlight, a production of the Ohio Poetry Association. Please follow the OPA on Twitter at Ohio Poetry and on Facebook at facebook.com slash Ohio Poetry. Visit ohiopoetryassociation.org for more information. And Beth, thank you so much for for joining us. (laughs) Thank you so much for having me. I had a lot of fun talking to you. Oh.